0: Hello and welcome to The Premise. I'm Jennifer Thompson. Today I'm excited to bring you an interview that I conducted with an author who was brought to us via Zoom from Warwick's Books in La Jolla. Enjoy! Well, this is a real honor and a pleasure to be here with Bill Clegg. This book is amazing. Bill Clegg is a literary agent in New York and the author of the best-selling memoirs Portrait of an Addict as a Young Man and 90 Days. His first novel, Did You Ever Have a Family, hit the New York Times bestseller list and was long listed for the National Book Award, Man Booker Prize, Penn Robert W. Bingham Prize, and Andrew Carnegie Medal for Excellence. Bill has also written for the New York Times, Lapham's Quarterly, New York Magazine, The Guardian and Harper's Bazaar. Bill, thank you for joining me today.
1: Thanks for for having me.
0: Yeah, this is awesome. This is a fantastic book. I want to hold it up again and I'll do this again throughout our, our interview today. The end of the day takes place during the course of one long day, interwoven with the flashbacks of several characters all revealing alternate points of view, some of which contradict one another, which makes this plot and this assembly of unlikely characters all that more delicious. The End of the Day is ultimately about our need to have meaning and our never-ending quest to find happiness and the American dream. Your first book, which I mentioned, Did You Ever Have a Family, explores themes of forgiveness, whereas this book the end of the day is almost the opposite where the characters all have their own version of the truth and secrets that may or may not be revealed was your intention to explore a theme that seemingly contradicts the idea of forgiveness the idea that maybe sometimes the truth is not what we need to save ourselves and each other or was this book more about the idea of forgiving oneself
1: Hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, it, uh, it's it's. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to give anything away. Uh, but uh, but there. But I do think in some ways, yes. Like I, th- there, there was a um, maybe a, a, an initially an unconscious response to mm. um, to you know kind of what unfolds and you know what kind of sits at the thematic center of did you ever have a family and um and in this, there is a desire for absolution um, mm-hmm. from some characters. Um, and And I, I you know, as I was writing it, I kind of, you know, became, um, you know, presented with the, the 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 choice, really, to sort of see if um, some people would be absolved um you know mm-hmm. and if if kind of um you know illuminating one side of a story or or explaining the circumstance of certain actions that had had happened a long time ago um causes for certain actions reasons um if the if illuminating those would would precipitate absolution and um, I don't, I don't think I should say, you can't
0: but, give it away. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> but I, but I will say that, I, you know, I was interested in also kind of what is, what happens to some people when, you know, um, when, when, you know, on the other side of, of, of not being absolved and when you're yeah. really just left with yourself and you're left with kind of taking stock of your own, um, yeah. choices and, um, and, and, and making peace with that. And so I think probably this book is, in many ways, about making peace with certain choices um, and, um, I guess, forgiving oneself and, um, and, and, and moving on um, mm-hmm. away from, 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 from painful um, consequences for things that we've done and said and choices that we've made. So, mm-hmm. um, and also how like, choices that might seem sort of small in youth or in young adulthood, um, how it's kind of only after a long period of time that we see that, um, that, that they've actually shaped our whole lives. You know, there are certain yeah. choices that we make when we're young um, that, that we, we're just not aware of the, of the, the consequences or that not even aware of really the stakes um it's it's sort of the tension between children and and parents a lot of the times because i think parents try and drill down like you know the choices you make now will determine your life and affect the rest of your life yeah and you can't know that as as a as a young person i don't think
0: I, I think it's also interesting because, you know, these characters are, are deeply affected by the choices of others, you know, that they had no say in, they had no idea what was happening. And, you know, when we take stock of our lives and we look at like the trajectory, sometimes it has nothing to do with us. And I think a lot of, in a lot of ways, this book really looks at that and kind of gives us, you know, you talk about, you know, being absolved, like to just live your life and, rest in who you are and and where you've come to in your life and being okay with that and finding happiness, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, this period of time that we're in right now, you know, illuminates probably, uh, you know, at least in my life, um, more than any other time, how you know we're being moved like pieces on a chessboard at this point like mm-hmm. it's like you will not go to your office every day you you know you you will not go to school you have to teach school even though it's yeah, this, right there's, and and so a lot of you know in the so what we're what we're bumping into now is really an illumination of like kind of of the levels of agency and power that people have over their lives and mm-hmm. you know some people can remove themselves from um, dangerous situations with regard to COVID, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, um, and other people can't, they have to, like, they have to go to work. And, um, and so, uh, so in the book for different, you know, there's different shaping circumstances, much more personal and not pandemical, (laughs) like, Mm -hmm. or global. Right. Um, Right where where you know, that do illuminate as well, like um the kind of disparity uh, of of agency and the disparity of power in um in people's lives. and um and so that was also something that I was interested in. I was not thinking about. Uh, a pandemic at the time, in any way,
0: though. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that.
1: Yeah, yeah. The
0: disparity. I think that that's you know one of my favorite parts of the book is these these characters range from you know an immigrant family, a Mexican family, who they're just trying to get in the American dream and you know just get into America legally, right? And then we've got this family who is so well off that they they really just don't understand. They could never understand what it means to struggle like that, and and they're introverted. Woven really well. Um, I want to talk about my favorite character to love and hate in the end of the day, Dana Goss. Is it Goss or Goss? Goss. Goss. Okay. I need to ask you before. Dana Goss, because she's the most complicated and probably the most unhappy and unfulfilled, even though she's also the most privileged. Was there a character in the end of the day you enjoyed writing more than the others?
1: There were ti you know, it really changed over the course of the writing of the book. Um, you mm-hmm. know, Dana, um, I had a lot of compassion for her. I, I I have known versions of Dana in my life, um, both young and older, but but um but also just how um you know, we were talking before about how, you know, depending on kind of levels of power and agency, you know, we have um know a commensurate number of choices that we can make you know jackie who's a character in the book who you know has um she grows up in a working class family she's um provided for compared to some characters she's privileged um but but compared to dana for example you know, sh- her choices are far more limited. And so, and she, she looks at those choices very early on and she has a keen sense of sort of um, like what paths she can take. And so she, she decides on a path very early um, and, 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 and sort of makes sure that it, that she is able to follow it um she wants to stay in the town that she grew up in she wants to be married she wants to have a child she wants or her children um mm-hmm. and she wants all that to happen very soon uh after high school because she doesn't want to you know she doesn't want to leave it to chance and so so she's working under the assumption that she doesn't actually have a lot of choices to make right. and, um, so she doubles down on that and does whatever she has to, to do to 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 make it happen. Um, and there's consequences for that, that willfulness, I think. And um, but um, but then you have, you know, but and her life has lots of ups and downs. But I think, it you know, there's a certain level of, of peace that she makes with it. Um, yeah. I think that she does attain a kind of uh, happiness, for lack of a better word. Um, and fulfillment. And um, whereas Dana, who has like, basically, her options are limitless, like, you know, um, you know, still constrained, she's still a woman, she's, this is still like the 1960s. Like, you know, so there are definitely barriers for her too, even though she's educated and moneyed and all these things. But but beyond that, there's, there's an enormous amount of choice. And what you see with that in her life is that she never Actually, makes a choice. She just yeah. keeps, she just like she'll move on, you know. And and I know I've I've known these people, and um and so, and so in some ways it's a curse because if if one becomes if, if if we're uncomfortable in our lives, we have to kind of like make it work. You know what I mean? Like at least you know I do. Uh, I shouldn't make assumptions about other people, but um <laughs> just you you figure it out. You make it work. In her life, it's like you know she she will you know buys a house, renovates it, meets people in, in La Jolla. She actually lives in La Jolla for a while. Um, mm-hmm. And um, but when it gets complicated or uncomfortable, instead of working it out, she just leaves. Like yeah. she just moves on to some other, other community, some friend is in Paris, she goes there for a while. And, and, and that happens for uh, you know, a long period of time until she sort of ends up back in New York and um, pretty much alone. Yeah. And, um, and only left with kind of the consequences of all those choices that she's made.
0: Yeah. She's alienated herself from from everyone around her in a way. There's a scene in in the book uh, where Dana has this epiphany of sorts. She'd always judged her grandfather for flaunting his wealth. He builds this amazing estate for this young, beautiful bride who doesn't return his love. And Dana feels a shift in her feelings toward her, her grandfather. And she's older. I think she's in her 60s. And she decides that she admires him for doing, what he needed to get what he wanted you know he didn't die with regrets she says to herself, can you talk about the importance of that scene and this idea of living with regret
1: i think you know for her you know she um the other person in her life who kind of did what it took to get what she wanted um was jackie you know it's like she um She sets her sights on Floyd in high school, and and she does what it takes to to marry him, and um and so it it was intended to be a very subtle parallel in terms of you know they're they're very different characters, Jackie, you know in the in the 1960s, and um, Dana's great great grandfather in the 1800s, and um and but he but she'd always had contempt for him. And um, but then I think now kind of on the other side, like in her late sixties, alone, Mm -hmm. um, having never really made a choice about anyone or anything or anywhere, like um, she she admires that. Like he went for it. It might have like there might you know he even died for it. I mean he because he ends up in the Civil War to prove his his sort of masculinity um, Mm -hmm. uh, to to this woman who doesn't love him but is marrying him for the money. And um, and so I think she sees she's uh, through her grandfather. She's able to admire Jackie for in some way who she'd had contempt for in this in this area of her life. She had contempt for her choice of Floyd. Floyd wasn't good enough for Dana. But then I think the other thing underneath that is that Dana also had like very strong feelings for Jackie. I think they were incredibly close friends. I think that there was also um, more to it for Dana. I think there was a romantic um, feeling there and um, but it was the 1960s, uh, you know, certainly in that small town, um, which is modeled on the town that I grew up in, in the Northwest corner okay. of Connecticut. Um, yeah. Like I didn't know any out gay people in my high school or in the town, adults or like adolescents. and. Um and that was I grew up in the 1980s um there, 70s, 80s, um, and then I graduated from college in the early 90s. And so they were in the 1950s and 60s. Right. And so I, I can I can I didn't live um, there then, but I can pretty much guarantee that in that world, like being gay was just not even it just didn't bubble to the consciousness. It didn't bubble to my consciousness. And I'm, you know, I'm I'm out and gay for over 25 years now, and I it was, it was really not something that was in in view in any way there. But I so I think for her, she she did have feelings for Jackie that she sublimated and and legislated and and mm-hmm. um, and, and mm-hmm. acted on in all sorts of ways that like really set the course for kind of a lot of what happens in the book. Um, so I think she looks at her grandfather and she looks at Jackie now and they both took risks. They both like, they both took actions to secure something that they, they wanted. Um, and whether that's good or bad, you know, sort of empirically, um, she now sees it as something that like, um, she didn't do. And she, um, so I think that regret for her in terms of like, she loved, she loved Jackie and she, and she, you know, um, even though she probably knows it never could have manifested in anything, because I think Jackie didn't have romantic feelings for Dana. Um, but but the actions that she took around that came from sublimating that love, I think, ended up with them being estranged for all of their adult lives. So I think that's when she sees her grandfather, that it, it's sort of... Um, uh, hmm. It, it opens up a kind of a, an awareness of of, um, of how, how the distance between her choices and Jackie and and somebody like her grandfather.
0: Did you did you know this relationship when you were writing these characters, the grandfather and Jackie, was that, you know, in your mind from the very beginning, or was that something that developed over time
1: it sort in of writing the book? Yeah, it sort of developed over time. I mean, like, um, I... You know, I can't remember the phrase that I used, but it was like sort of like the the you know he's a she's a great beauty and he's a wimpy rich kid. Like I remember mm-hmm. like that dynamic. I remember like like describing that painting and yeah. then, and then and the kind of the the disparity there and seeing it through Dana's eyes. Um, and I wrote a lot of that backstory before making the connection to Jackie. And, and, um, and so it was only, it was only later, but then I, I kind of saw the opportunity and that's what led to Dana's kind of reverie, like looking at it and having a shift in the way that she perceives her grandfather.
0: Would you like to read that scene?
1: I can try. Um,
0: 175 or, or 177. Actually 177 might be a great place to start beginning with the second paragraph on that page. Sure, <clears throat>
1: like beginning with "Good for you, George."
0: Um, or, no, like, I was thinking oh, at the at the top, um, a car door slams outside, oh, and bringing sure. it down to "Good for you, George." Got yeah,
1: it. a car door slams outside. Dana barely hears it. She looks up at George's flimsy frame and dark eyes, and recognizes something else there. Hmm. Why it makes her feel strangely relieved, she does not know. He was led by his heart, she thinks defensively, made a spectacle of his love, sacrificed everything. And when he died, he had no regrets. She scans Olivia's pale features. Even from where she sits, she can appreciate how delicately painted and lifelike Olivia's slender neck and decolletage are. What a pair, Dana thinks, and sees the once upon a time Willings as both doomed and oddly heroic two children of a new century born with assets and liabilities, one money, the other beauty, and in not so original an equation, they each use what they had like weapons and bagged big game. She (laughs) looks at them standing side by side, the river behind them. Olivia's hands are folded tidily below the high cinched waist of her gown. George's left hand on her far shoulder, his right on the one that seems to pull away from him. He is holding her not like a trophy or a possession, or even the way Dana has seen most husbands touch their wives with affection. He is holding her like someone who must, someone who accepts his wife, forgives her for despising him even, who would fight for her, whose fate is bound to hers beyond the point of choice. He loves her. When that might've happened, no one will ever know, but by the time this painting was created, according to her grandmother soon after they'd married, He was already determined to do whatever it took to be in her company, make her happy and win her love. Good for you, George, Dana whispers.
0: (laughs) The writing in this book is so fantastic. Um, I I loved reading this book. And from the very beginning, I was drawn into the characters. I will say there was one point where I was a little mad at you. Part two, we're dropped into a new character in a new place and time, and I was like, "Wait a minute, you can't leave me hanging. <laughs> but I knew i I knew I had to trust you and, and keep keep going. But you use this technique in the book, which creates beautiful and delicious tension, where the same character is hanging in space. So we might have a character in one scene, you know, at the end of the chapter, and then that same character, again in another scene at a different point in their life, and we don't know how they're all going to tie together. Mm -hmm. It it was an interesting technique, and I wonder how you came to use this. Was it intentional? Um, This idea of placing people at different pivotal points in the realization of, you know, for the readers, we're like, oh, wait a minute. This character's been left here in a reality that's actually not true. So talk to me about this technique and, you know, the pacing that you chose for this
1: book. Well, it's... It, that that sort of method um, I had used in my first novel, did you ever have a family? Mm-hmm. And there were more characters in that book. <laughs> I mean, there were there were characters who sort of make one appearance or a couple of appearances. Um, and uh, and and for that book, that scene that, that that worked for me. It's you know it's really just how the story uh, kind of occurs to me. It's you know mm-hmm. the the doorway for this book um was jackie and she you know is a the mother of a minor character in did you ever have a family she makes a brief appearance toward the beginning of the book um and and you know I, my intention was just for her to sort of make this appearance she stands at her son's car she sort of grieves with him for a moment and then you move on and you never you don't really see this character again and um and yet there was just something about her this woman in her late 60s in her House coat and her porch light is on in the middle of the day, and um, and I just there. I I don't know. There what was it, more. I, I just kind of kept <laughs> on thinking about her, and um, so while I was writing, did you ever a family? I ended up going sort of into her life more, and um, and it became clear that sh- she was not going to be part of th- of that novel, like because this whole other kind of universe was hatching around her. And so during the, the period of writing that book, I just kind of would um, I would I would I would jump into the document that that held the writing around her whenever I would hit a wall. in did you ever have a family? And when you write like this, you you paint yourself into corners like a little bit like mm. there may be one streak of a story that you really get committed to. Um, but it, but it might not like allow you to to do what you thought you were going to do over here with this character. It's it's a complicated kind of puzzle, and um, which actually I is part of what thrills me about it too. <laughs> is, um, because I also th- you know I also you know just jumping around a little bit. But you know if you sit and talk to somebody for long enough, like like the the, the twists and turns of somebody's life. Often yeah so much more interesting and surprising than yeah. your first impression, and I think so much of our lives, particularly now with like social media and you know that we really like you know um and to lesser and 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 greater degrees and we make these decisions about people we like we kind of these assumptions. Some of those assumptions turn out to be deadly, as we have seen in the case of, like George Floyd, and and um, and and assumptions that that cause fear-based actions. And so, I think it's 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 something human that that that's in us to do this. And I think it it it, it then gets either calcified into things like racism or classism or sexism. There's all sorts of ways in which um, like our preconceived notions about people shape the way we interact with them. And so, um, so, you know, in terms of like these lives that I've kind of presented, like, I just, I kind of like writing them was sort of like having a long conversation with them, which is like, you know, you meet them in, in their late sixties, the, 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 these three women who are really at the center of the book. um, and and I guess I kind of I wanted like for Jackie especially, like this woman who seems like she has had like a very mild life, you know, like um a former secretary at the elementary school. Like this is all we kind of know about her. And yet, like you know, there there are moments in her life that are wildly dramatic and um and and it was rich and and epic. And you know, there was a whole opera of a life that precedes like this period of time where she's very much alone and in an empty house with two kids who've grown up.
0: Yeah. Um, but
1: I, so I, the way those lives intersect, I think is why I like having a structure that moves from one character to the next. Mm. Um, and I also like the being able to kind of um, paint the parallels between lives that wouldn't necessarily look like they would have much in common. And right. by doing that, it allows certain things to sort of certain characters and experiences that from a distance look extremely different, actually have a lot in common and and um, which I think is also always somehow a surprise to people. It's like, oh, this very wealthy person who had unlimited choices like could have a feeling that was very close to the one that I had who, and, you know, so I think, so I, I, I think that's um, that process of kind of discovering those connections is also why I like that structure.
0: Hmm. I mean, was, was that your intention is to show that, Hey, we're all the same. I mean, at the end of the day, regardless of our socioeconomic position in, in our life, like we're really all the same. We want the same things,
1: right? Yeah, I mean, that's, I think with both novels, like that is, that is one of the, the yeah, it's one of the beating hearts of like, what's up in, in them, like, and and what I'd like to illuminate. And it's mm. and it's not that I set out to like, create like this, you know, this person over here, and this person over here, how can I, what, what happens is they become real people to me. And in, in the telling of their stories, I can then begin to recognize and make those connections. And then and then shape the writing and the and the story around that a little bit. Not to you, nobody wants to like be told anything when they're reading a book or 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 be taught something. You know, you're writing a story to engross and to have people, um, you know, care about. And and so, but but once those kind of those subtle connections get made in the writing, it's it's fun as a writer to 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 stitch those connections um, for the reader in in subtle ways.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you you did a really nice job of that. I mean, there was never a moment where I felt like you were talking at me. I was definitely engrossed in the lives of these characters. And, you know, and there were, it was fast paced in the fact that, you know, we would drop into a scene and then into another scene and then we're back to the scene, but not necessarily from the perspective of that character, right. you know, that it might be you would finish that story through the perspective, maybe more honestly, of a different character. and I And I really enjoyed that honestly that that ride you know this book reads so you know you don't want to hear people say i read your book in one day right Uh (laughs) but i mean it reads so i I did i i I literally read it in one day because i you know i love being immersed in the lives of characters that are so rich like this that if you take time away from it maybe you have the opportunity to really think about situation and the characters but with this I couldn't because there's so many times where I'm like I need to know what happens I need to I need to see you know how this is going to resolve so it was beautifully written um yeah well thank you yeah it's, it's such a good book um I think one of the reasons I enjoy literary fiction is this idea that you know in a lot of other genres you have a protagonist and an antagonist typically Human, and in, in this book, I mean, the antagonist almost seems like it's you know maybe the past or the truth. Were, were you thinking along the lines of uh, you know how an antagonist would come into play when you were working through these characters?
1: I n- no, I mean, I just I, I I I think I just had faith that like there would be uh, that their stories would sort of create a center of gravity enough to. Um, you know, they're, um, the, you know, the three, uh, you know, they're all kind of, they're all the central characters in my mind at, at one, you know, but those three women really, um, you know, just thinking about what their circumstances, they were each born into a very different circumstance and, and they, they, they navigate them to the best of their ability. And so I think it's, it's, um, and each one of them has like you know um, obstacles and 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 um, and and disappointments and and pain that they have to move through and and evolve from or not and and so it's it's really just kind of like life itself is is you know what what challenges us you know that's mm-hmm. and and so um, and so these are just three lives they, it's you know three girls who grew up with, you know at the end of a, a, a long you know, um, dirt road, you know, Mm -hmm. far from the center of a town and the trajectories of, of each of them were very, very different from each other.
0: You know, I feel like for the benefit of our viewers and our listeners, I'd like to bring Lupita into the conversation because we've talked a lot about Dana and we've talked a lot about Jackie, but what about Lupita? Where did she come from and, and how did she take shape as you were writing this book?
1: Lupita came into view, like really like into view at, um, sort of like a apparition, um, because so Jackie was the original, like character. And then, you know, I sort of had <laughs> had placed her at the, the end of this long road and um, in this kind of perfectly nice, uh, um, you know, ranch house. Um, but, but, but just down the road from her is this old, important, you know, sort of mansion um, that was built in the 1800s and is owned by, has been owned by the same family since then. And um, the current people who own it live in New York and come up on the weekends and sometimes in the summer. And um, and so the two girls are the same age, which is, even though they come from very different circumstances, they're the only two girls the same age at the end of this long road. So they become friends and, um, and and so it was their friendship, and you know was what I was writing. And and there was there's an activity that they do where they 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 pick stones from the river and pretend that they've been enchanted by these sort of fairies, um, and um, they're actually jewels that are being disguised as stone, stone. So it's like it's their like sort of childhood project. And right. um, and there was I was writing a description of them doing that, and I just I imagined this girl like. Sort of watching at the, yeah, oh. watching and excluded. and mm. um and so, and she became the daughter of the the caretaker, um, right. um who is somebody who um, came into the United States um, uh, from mexico when um she, when his daughter was an infant. and um, and then um, and then his wife and uh, two daughters follow and meet him in Florida. And then there's this opportunity to work for this family up in New York and who eventually end up sponsoring them to citizenship. And so, mm-hmm. this, this, um, so this family sort of moves from Florida up to New York but the circumstances particular in the sense that the father has to live um, sort of at this house in Connecticut um, and serve as the caretaker and the mother is, serves as the, um, the, the maid Um, who sort of oversees the apartment in the city and her older daughter works there with her. So the family is split by this kind of employment and by this amazing opportunity to be like sponsored for citizenship. So already you can see like the power dynamic there. And, um, and so, and also just like looking at a a, a family that's like, and I, I, I know families in my own life that have had to make like hard decisions about like, where the job is and who's going to school where. And, you know, they sort of, they, they cope. And and, and and so in this case, it's like, here's this young girl who's living with her father above a garage, working for this very wealthy family. And, um, and then these two girls who are a year older than she is and who want nothing to do with her. Yeah. Um, and so she's already sort of, you know, um, a stranger in a strange land. And, and, but then she's sort of snubbed by them And she's the only she's the only Spanish speaking girl um, in this very small white town and um, and certainly the only one from Mexico. And and there's just an enormous gulf between her experience and the the kids. And and she experiences, you know, bullying and racism and and um, and so, you know, both subtle and and not subtle. And um, and so. So she became, you know, sort of the third of these three um, characters for me.
0: I feel like, you know, her importance, there's so many levels to it. It's sort of like, you know, unpeeling or peeling an onion, right? But without her, I don't know that we would have seen the depths of Jackie and Dana, right? This idea that they wouldn't just include her, you know, to me is like inexplicable. And my heart broke for Lupita so many times, but it it really helped add to who Jackie is and who Dana is. You know, these two people who are also making it in life, but don't have the capacity to see what they're doing. Um, yeah. it, it, the triangulation of that was really, really well done. And we're coming to the end, so I do want to ask you if you have another book in you that's that we can look forward to.
1: Um, well, I'm I'm hopeful, this is gonna I'm I'm working on one right now that that takes place in the same fictional town, um, which mm. is you know well yeah as well as but it's very close to the town I grew up in, and I, I I'm working through one last sort of chunk of. Unresolved um, baggage, I guess. <laughs> like, um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, there's like there's a there's a family in that town that is you know sort of the the center strut of the town. They're the the volunteer firemen and mm. um, and they um, you know pot, and but they're also the loudest at the picnics and the, and they you know they're they're they've been in the town for generations and um, and they're modeled off. As, Sort of families that I knew growing up, who have grown up in these and lived for generations in these small towns, um, and are, but are sort of slightly getting like nudged out year by year, like as these towns mm. become more gentrified and wealthier. Um, and so um, they sort of hover at the edge of both of the main storylines in the two books, but in the third book, they're going to be the center of of, of the book. Awesome. One particular one character, yeah. So awesome. that that will end that 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 trilogy of, of Wells, Connecticut, hopefully.
0: That's wonderful. Well, or hopefully not. I got (laughs) to ask you one more thing before Julie takes you away. Do you, when you're writing, do you have that moment of doubt? where like, is anyone going to want to read this book?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: Really? Okay. I
1: I mean, it's, it's, it's more than, I mean, it's, it's a lot worse than that actually. (laughs) Like it's, it's not just like, will anybody want to read it? It's just, the, there's just yeah. I think I don't, I've never met a writer who hasn't had that that moment of mortification. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. like,
0: what am I doing? Yeah, yeah.
1: I've been in this years and it's nothing, like, or mm-hmm. it's worse than nothing. And and so, yeah. I think how, it, it's part of the process.
0: Well, how do you get through those moments?
1: Just, you just remember the last time you had one. You know, it's like <laughs> and yeah. And I, also, I you know, I'm lucky in the sense that my day job is I'm a literary agent. so I work with writers, great writers. and and even even the greatest writers that I work with, I know have are plagued with like self-doubt. And so knowing that they're capable of what they've produced, and also you know sort of been kind of at the the foot of the stage as as they really, you know um, grapple with with whether something is is worth publishing or not. Um, I I I, I, it, I take comfort in that. It's, it 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 gives me um, some sort of solace. But it doesn't. It it's not easy. It's writing's lonely, and yeah, and because you're particularly with fiction, where you're creating every single detail, every every aspect of it. Um, if you're not bumping into some kind of self-doubt along the way, then you may be a sociopath, but like, <laughs> I, but like I don't I, I haven't met that writer who, who hasn't hasn't um been crippled by that at some point.
0: Mm-hmm. Well thank you for working through any doubts that you have ever had. I enjoyed your book immensely and thanks for this conversation. And just to remind everyone, the end of the day is out in bookstores now. Buy it at Warwick's if you can. But any boutique bookstore is Julie said your your dollars are like votes so that we get to see the third book and um, I'll pass it back to you Julie. Thanks
2: yeah that was a great conversation. Thank you. Um, yeah and when you guys were talking about you know the style and what, how you write Bill what I love and I've always loved about your writing is you assume your readers are smart.
0: <laughs> Truly <laughs> and you, that's and a good point. You, yeah. you
2: know and it's like and that's what I love is because we have to think and we have to like keep mm-hmm. keep track and it's and that's what i love about your books it's just um so that's just my little personal stuff about why <laughs> i love you
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but uh we also have pat jackson who's out there watching us right now oh klybert i'm sorry and so um she also loves every book that you've read i mean that you've nice. read and um, she wow. can't wait to read this one uh, but she has a question of, you are such a good writer. I'm wondering which authors you read.
1: Hmm. Um, as many as I can. And I will say I've, um, you know, because my job is reading as a literary agent um, and I'm always behind. Um, uh, mm-hmm. So especially during a pandemic where writers have been wildly prolific. Uh, <laughs> so I've actually, I, I struggle to to read just for pleasure. Uh, um, and... The 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 great solution for me has become audiobooks. So I, mm-hmm. I I'm always listening to an audiobook when I'm working out or going for a walk, and um and you know recently there've been a few that have just been extraordinary. If, if the, the book that I I recommend to people a lot right now is City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert. Oh yeah. Is, uh, did you read it, Julie? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh my god, it's I have right? to say like I I think it's just one of the best books of the last decade it's, it's 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 uh and it presents as sort of fizzy and light yeah, maybe but, but it's i mean not,
2: yeah yeah
1: somebody said well what's it about and i was like it's sort of about everything honestly yeah. it's about like, you know, <laughs> i mean
2: because if you talk about the time period some people go uh you know and it's like no 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 You're just, yeah yeah
1: but it's about yeah, it's about aging. It's about like yep. it's about the evolution of like it's it's really like a kind of an alternative history of like women over the back half of the last cent- century. Like a true history of like the experience of being a woman in, in New York in any case, and and how New York has changed, and how theater has changed, how the economy yep. has changed, the impact of war. I, I it just I loved it. I I, yeah. I was <laughs> devastated that it was over. I didn't want it to end.
2: Mm-hmm. And she's fantastic. I mean, Liz Gilbert is just like—I mean, whether she's writing fiction or nonfiction, she—you've had her to the store. We've had her, yeah. We've had her a couple. Of, we've been really lucky that we have the oppor- had had the opportunity to host her because we fill a yeah. nice size theater for her, and she's got fantastic fans too. So yes. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. But I think a lot of
1: people think of her as like a, a commercial writer because of Eat Pray Love. But right. she started out as an award-winning short story writer, and she's right. written like several nonfiction books. You know, one is The Last American Man, I think it's called, um, I which I haven't read. But she she's a really serious writer. But there's yeah. and her I fiction writing.
2: That, I can't remember what was the botanist one. I can't remember what that one
1: was. But, oh, um, although
2: something things. All I haven't f-
1: read it. I haven't read it yet. Um, yeah. Because I just finished City of Girls a little bit ago. But Yeah, but she's so a great I, writer. So I just try to read what I can. And um, you know, I read Michelle Obama's memoir, like, you know, um, and um I'm rereading Edmund White's um a boys um story, a boys own story, um, uh, that that novel. I represent Ed and mm. I, I haven't read that book since I was like seventeen years old. So I'm having oh, wow. kind of a lot of cool. right now. Yeah um so so yeah i just kind of and i read a lot of poetry for pleasure because Mm. there's if there's an economy of time with that i can actually read a suite of poems and have kind of a full experience with an author and their consciousness and um in between like all the other stuff that i have to do so poetry i read a lot of
2: and i think that poetry has gotten a um resurgence especially during COVID. i think people have really gravitated towards it as a yeah. solace, and as something that is just, you know, we've sold a lot more poetry these last that's few months.
1: That's mm-hmm. great. That's that's yeah. that's good news. I mean, that's yeah. that's one of the best pieces of news I've heard in a while. Yeah, I, I do. I read a lot of poetry, and I read the same poets again and again, and and very rarely do I wedge somebody new in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, um, but yeah. So well, that brings cool.
2: up another good point about, you know, and we're talking Liz Gilbert who writes fiction and nonfiction and you've written fiction and nonfiction. Do you have a preference of the two?
1: For reading? I mean, or writing? No, or for
2: writing or for writing for you um, personally writing.
1: I, you know, I wrote an, I, I, since after I wrote my, the second memoir, 90 days, I think I've, I finished writing that in 12, 2012 and or 2011 and 2011 and um and i hadn't written anything in in the in the form of like memoir or personal essay um until this spring i wrote an essay for vogue and like it, I, it was the first time i'd really done that and it was like it was just it was a certain kind of writing that i i didn't think i would go back to and um i really liked it i mean i just mm-hmm. I, it, I, I and maybe because it's a way of puzzling through things that have happened in your life and kind of putting things in perspective. And there's a, there's just a different kind of satisfaction from that. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, but, but fiction is more fun. Like, I mean, in terms of writing those memoirs, which involve a lot of, you know,
0: emotional, you know, Mm -hmm.
1: a lot of stuff, like it's Mm -hmm. tough stuff. Um, And um, but, and for me, like even though my books have a lot of hard things that happen in them, because, it's, because there's nobody, there, I'm not trying to work within the parameters of anything that actually happened. It's like there's something joyful about it. There's an exhilaration about creating new things.
0: Mm, yeah. Um, so,
1: I, yeah, I like, I, I really, I, I enjoy. And I, I, I expect to, um, until I run out of ideas, I mean, I just, I love being able to, to steal away for a week you know, and, or a weekend, it's hard when you have a kid. Um, Well, that's
2: what I, that was my next question to you, because I mean, you are a busy guy, Um, not only with the literary, you're, you know, writer, family, the whole bit. So when do you, do you write every day? Do you carve out what's your writing process?
1: I don't. So it's pretty, particularly in the, the generative period, like in, in this case, the generative period was probably four years like where I was just kind of writing it and, and kind of letting myself go wide before really imposing order. Um, and that I, that I kind of need to be sort of alone and I need a chunk of time. It can be a weekend or mm. um, or a week. And oftentimes what I'll do is I'll come up to our house from, um, we, we live in New York and we have a house, this house, um, which is 90 minutes north along the Hudson in the Hudson River Valley. And I'll wake up super early at like 5.30 and write till two and then like work for a few hours and return emails and just in a very compressed time, like show up to um, my job at the agency and then, you know, return phone calls through the afternoon and then write till like midnight. Mm-hmm. And so I'll, so sometimes I don't even tell people that I've left. I'll just, you know, um, they just won't hear back from me until two o'clock that day. No. But, um, but there there can be months between those periods of time. Often oh. there are. And so mm-hmm. even though I don't write in between, I have a lot of faith in the unconscious. So I feel like you know I'll be very immersed in something, and it's always kind of like hovering, sort of at the edge of stuff. And so usually when I sit down to to write, like I I, I just have access to a lot more than I think I will, and um, because it's been churning. And and I actually in in a way I it's a method that I wouldn't. If I, I don't, I wouldn't want like to just be a writer and and have like mm. unending hmm. amounts of time to just write because I think stepping away and getting perspective from it and letting it kind of stew a bit before like going back to it has helped me a lot. So,
2: but also keeping track. I mean, that has to be a little bit though. I mean, keeping track of it because your 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 novels are very complicated, and so it's like you've got to like really keep track of stuff. <laughs>
1: I write well. I, I I write I write out um, kind of family trees and timelines. Okay. I have, I have so many graphs and so many like, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, and still, like I, my editor Wendy, I mean it's embarrassing, but like l- late in the process, like when when after I've finally given her like a full draft of it, um, you know I had change certain things that you know and um because certain things couldn't happen before 1969 and and i didn't and then i decided later i didn't want somebody to be this age and so i would make those changes but any change you make late like has a ripple effects through and so she'd be like Mm, this doesn't quite, you know, we would So it was (laughs) was kind of a shock when like my charts and my graphs like were failing me. So
2: (laughs) I think people are always, I mean, because we do a lot of these events and people are very interested. People are watching or they're really interested in what authors processes are. And you're so involved in so many different aspects of this industry that it's really interesting to hear your perspective on stuff. So thanks for sharing that.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: So, we have taken up enough of your time. So, I'm going to, Jennifer, tell us real quick if people are watching that want to find out more about you, where's the best place to find you on any social media or anything?
0: Okay. Well, you can find me at Jennifer Grace on Twitter. And you can also follow the Premise podcast and listen to this one at San Diego Writers Festival.com. Excellent.
2: Thank you. And, Bill, do you even have time to get on any social media? <laughs> Do you even want to? I take
1: pictures of donuts. Like, like I'm nice. Instagram account. Hopefully you and eat them I too. pictures of donuts and <laughs> occasionally like things around like outside the house, but like it's a, it's a very narrow Instagram account. Like
2: it's like- I like it though. That's a, that's a really interesting thing into your, into your psyche there. That it's pictures of donuts. I love that.
1: <laughs> I love donuts. We have like my husband and, um, and, uh, are, uh, about to be six year old girl. We have a donut party like every weekend, and so there's a few places that we go. And if I travel, I, f- I get the tips and find out what the donuts are. So
2: nice, um, fantastic. So is it just Bill Clegg uh, on Instagram?
1: I think it's called Clegg77. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Okay. Well, that's well. You we may find some more followers that are looking at those donuts, man. <laughs> like donuts.
1: Yeah. Have you had voodoo donuts in, in Portland? Oh yeah, of course. Absolutely. Of course. Yeah, it was great. That, there's a couple, <laughs> there's a few in, in um in Portland. What's the name of the one? And there's another one in Portland that's incredible.
0: Oh. It's Blue. Um,
1: somebody out there will know, but um, somebody out there will know. Yeah. But mm-hmm. there's there's yeah, Portland's a good donut town. Seattle and is I, a good donut town too.
2: I was, I was gonna let you go, but then I just remembered something. What made you put La Jolla in the book? Yeah, I was know. gonna ask that.
1: Um, well, because I used to come to California to, I, I had um, a, an aunt and uncle uh, who lived in Poway. And mm-hmm. so we would, I would come out to Poway and we would go to the beach in La Jolla. And I and um, and I remember coming to La Jolla a bunch of times, um, mm-hmm. like just kind of growing up and just thinking it was like one of the great places. And so, um, so when I imagined places where Dana would like, It was like, of course, like La Jolla.
0: Love it. Thank you for joining us today. This has been a Warwick's sponsored interview. Until next time, stay safe. (laughs)